Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Miles Davis said, I always listen for what I can leave out. This from one of North America's greatest jazz trumpeters. Not how can I embellish this? How can I make it more complex, more layered? But what can I leave out? Listen to the spare muted playing on All Blues or Stella by Starlight. And you can hear the beauty that can be coaxed out of the silence if you leave out just enough. Meditation teacher Dean Slider writes, there's no straight line that can't be made crooked, no easy task that can't be made hard, no clear statement that can't be obscured, no ordinary encounter that can't be twisted into endless ramifications. Even Viktor Serebryakov, former president of the Genius Society, Mensa, once said, unfortunately, intelligence is no guarantee against stupidity. Across two centuries, American naturalist Henry David Thoreau's directive echoes from the shores of Walden. Simplify, simplify. He explained, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I did not wish to live what was not life. Living is so dear. Nor did I wish to practice resignation unless it was quite necessary. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life, to live so sturdily and Spartan-like as to put to rout all that was not life, to cut a broad swath and shave close, to drive life into a corner and reduce it to its lowest terms. And if it proved to be mean, why then to get the whole and genuine meanness of it? and publish its meanness to the world. Or if it were sublime, to know it by experience and be able to give a true account of it in my next excursion. Clutter is the surest sign that simplicity has given way to complexity. It begins in our minds and the ripples emanate into our lives. What's complicating? What's cluttering your life? Clutter is not just stuff. American poet Mary Oliver penned The Journey, reminding us that certain relationships are clutter. 
the journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. Though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life. Each voice cried, mend my life. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough and a wild night and the world full, the road full of fallen branches and stones, but little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds. And there was a new voice which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Certain relationships, information overload, obligations, commitments, habits, they are clutter. And clutter is exhausting, taking up our time while adding precious little value to our lives. Too much is too much. It will steal our energy and rob us of the peace that abides in a clean, clear space. What is enough? Here's a wonderful lesson I stumbled across at the age of 20. I was living in Japan. One summer day, I was walking through the pathless wood behind the Zen temple, heading for the stream I could hear tumbling in the ravine below. And suddenly at my feet, there appeared a circular stone about two feet in diameter with a square cut out of the center like an ancient Chinese coin. Four ideograms, raised relief carvings, stood sentinel around the openings, one to a side. Years later, it occurred to me that one of the monks had surely come before me that day, and probably every day, sweeping the giant coin's surface clear of the forest debris, save some small patches of brown lichen and a thin veneer of nature's dust. But at the time, I felt that I had discovered it. And I was sure it contained a secret, a lesson, just for me. Painstakingly, I copied the characters into my notebook. Visiting my stepmother at her home back in Tokyo one evening after the di dinner dishes had been cleared, I showed her my treasure. These characters are very, very old, she told me. We don't even use them anymore. She went to her room, emerged with what I imagine was the equivalent of our Webster's unabridged dictionary, and sat for a long time poring over my notebook, drawing new characters next to mine, speaking syllables under her breath in a kind of incantation. I waited. At last, she said, I have it. She paused, I don't know, do you say this in English? The stone said, it is just enough. 
I was electrified. It is just enough. No, we don't say that in English, but we should. All those years ago now, I felt as I still feel that somehow we must learn to say it. It is just enough. Simplify. Simplify. Joshua Becker is the author of The More of Less. His list of the most important things to simplify in our lives includes our possessions, our time commitments, our goals, our negative thoughts, debt, words, artificial ingredients, screen time, fruitless connection to the events of the world, and the illusion of multitasking. He urges us to release ourselves from constraints that are not in line with our highest values. Choose one or two goals at a time at most. Clean up our minds by releasing bitterness, resentment, jealousy, and hatred. Getting out from under the weight of all kinds of indebtedness. And regularly unplugging from our technology. Replace all these, he says, with balance, freedom, and joy. How to begin. As always, with intention, Melissa, writing for Simple Lionheart Life, simply Melissa, she's eliminated her last name, simplelionheartlife.com suggests we start with how we're committing and using our time, especially if we never feel we have enough time. And go from there. What are our priorities? What do we want more of, less of? Even a small shift, a tiny adjustment can tip the scale toward what's truly important. More of what we love and less of what we don't. We North Americans have a love affair with choices at our peril. Choices are seductive. How much time do we spend choosing between this and that? American filmmaker Quentin Tarantino said of American actor Robert De Niro that his genius was not in how many different ways he could play a scene, but in cutting through to the heart, the heart of the script, knowing that there are really only two or three ways to eliminate it. A single glance, an extra beat, these are powerful. Recently, I asked my friend Katina Rodas, a sculptor, how she knows when a piece is done. She answered, you just know. I strongly suspect she's right. We know what enough is. Do you know about Occam's razor? William of Ockham, a 14th century logician and theologian, is credited with the idea that the simplest of explanations is most likely to be correct. The simplest is almost certainly correct. The translation from the Latin says, entities should not be multiplied unnecessarily. 
In other words, Occam's razor shaves away what is unnecessary. Arlington Street's beloved Ksenia will have to tell us if it's true that medical students are told when you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras. Henry David Thoreau wrote, I have always regretted that I was not as wise as the day I was born. If you find your life getting tangled up, get out Occam's razor and start shaving. In the 1980s, the Reagan administration closed large-scale institutions for people living with disabilities, mental illness, and addiction with a promise that the inhabitants would be moved to small, intimate, community-based halfway houses. The institutions were indeed closed, but the halfway houses were never funded. People who had never lived on their own, who had very few real-world coping skills, were literally put out on the streets. It was no less than a humanitarian disaster. I was serving as a student chaplain then at Morgan Memorial Goodwill Industries here in Boston. I remember finding an utterly disoriented young man standing alone at the corner of Arlington and Berkeley streets and bringing him to work with me. Goodwill threw open its doors and fed, clothed, and employed him and a king tide of other refugees. Housing was an additional challenge. We were completely dependent on the open hands of good-hearted people. One such colleague wrote about that time. Our halfway house was flooded with applicants. We had only so much room. Whom to shelter, whom to clothe, whom to feed, deep questions to be faced very suddenly. An hour before we opened, we agreed to sit together in silence. Prayer, meditation, just plain calming down. Everyone went for their ammo. Then we opened the doors, somehow trusting. We agreed that everything we did, we would do with love. Those people we accepted, we accepted with love. Those people we turned away or helped find alternatives, love. Everyone seemed to understand the differences among us all, staff and applicants alike, suddenly seemed less solid. The whole idea that it all had to do with disabilities even seemed a little artificial. Nobody was really thinking that much, had time to or needed to or something. So much of it was just coming from the heart. So many people with so many problems. But it went smoothly. How? After the first wave, we sat down to discuss what had happened. Your classic evaluation procedure. Can we come to order? Met with some laughter. So, someone said. Then another person stood up and said, these past three days were about who we really are. The way we were, that was the truth about us, deep down. Love is the deepest truth about us. There was a moment of silence. Someone else said, right. We waited a little longer. 
And that was the meeting. We're not used to things becoming clear like that. But after a minute or two, people gradually got up and went back to work. Beloved spiritual companions, let's listen for what we can leave out. Simplify, simplify. May we seek to do everything with love. It is just enough. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Kalidasa was a classical Sanskrit author who is often considered ancient India's greatest poet and playwright. We heard it this morning. This is from his exhortation to the dawn. Look to this day for it is life the very life of life. In its brief course lie all the verities and realities of our existence. For yesterday is but a dream, and tomorrow but a vision. Let us look well, therefore, to this day. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen.
ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.